ladies and gentlemen, transmitting direct from Lion's Den Studios in Los Angeles, California, Crew S Studios and Danube Productions bring you The Conduit, bringing together motivated artists to share their experience and to pull back the curtain for a first-hand look at a life in the arts. Today our guest is songwriter, actor, top session singer, and musical chameleon, Cy Smith. So adjust your antenna, relax, and tune in. Your program is about to begin. All right, welcome everyone to episode two of The Conduit, a podcast where I sit down and talk to amazing, courageous people about making a living in the arts. Today my guest is singer, songwriter, musician, and actor, Cy Smith, who has, amongst many other things, provided backing vocals to legendary artists from Whitney Houston, Sheila E., Michelle Indegi Ocello, Shaka Khan, Usher, and Macy Gray, just to name a few. Under her own name, Cy has released five critically acclaimed albums with contributions from producers like James Poyser of The Roots, Ali Shaheed Muhammad of A Tribe Called Quest, and Nikolai of The Foreign Exchange. In recent years, Cy has duetted with Grammy-winning trumpeter Chris Boddy, with her interpretation of the Burt Bacharach classic The Look of Love being an audience favorite. Cy also gratefully contributed a killer vocal performance of Helene Smith's You Got to Be a Man for a single by my group, Night Owls. But that's not all. Cy also moonlights as an actor, having played roles in TV shows like Ally McBeal, How I Met Your Mother, and American Dad and her voice can be heard as the character of Aisha on the popular video game franchise Saints Row. If it were up to me, Cy's next gig would be with Herbie Hancock, because like Herbie, Cy is a true chameleon. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with the lovely and talented Cy Smith. Well, Cy, welcome to The Conduit. I'm so grateful to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. I'm excited to be here. So there's so much stuff to cover here because you've been in so many amazing situations and um i think our reader or our listeners will uh it's my years as a writer <laughs> our, readers, our listeners will uh really benefit from all the situations you've been in and uh and been a part of so cool. it's really you know the conduit's really an attempt to give listeners insight into you know the life of an artist and how you right. can make a life as an artist so you were born in New York and then came up in Washington, D.C. Right. Take us through what growing up in D.C. was like and how it shaped you, what family life was like, what mm -hmm. records were played in your house, yeah. all that kind of stuff. All that stuff. So, yeah, um, my mother and her four sisters, two, uh, four, three of her sisters all lived in New York. Um, okay. And so that's where I was born. Uh, and then my mother decided to move down to D.C. so that she could attend Howard University for her master's. Oh, your mom went there as well. Yeah. Oh, and how um, beautiful. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, so we were we moved to D.C. fairly early in my life. Um, yeah. But I traveled around a lot very early on. Um, it was very much a village raising me, but our village was between three or four states, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so I was, I spent a lot of time in, in New York and New Jersey and a lot of time in Tennessee where my mother is originally from. Yeah, um, okay. and then of course, DC being our home now, um, yeah. you know, so I just wanted to put that out there to, to make people sort of understand that like traveling was always a part of my life, you know? Wow. Yeah. 
Um, so in DC, of course, you know, Dan, go-go is a big thing. Yeah. Um, and anybody, you know, especially black kids who have any, any, any black kids who have any sort of inkling, you know, towards music, yeah. um, we're going to end up playing go-go at some point, probably, you know, right, <laughs> um, right. you know, so flashback to when I was about six years old, um, I was always playing a piano because there was a piano in my grandparents' house in Tennessee. Okay. So my mother where bought in Tennessee me. Tennessee was this? Where was this? This is so my family is from a place called Promised Land, Tennessee. This is oh, about mm -hmm. forty-five miles from Nashville, okay. uh, and this is the land that we have been on since, in like slavery. Yeah. Like we've been in that area. And, and then after the Civil War, my forefathers went back um, to Promised Land at, with their money that they earned from fighting with the Union. And they bought a whole bunch of land. And so that's oh, where my okay. family still lives, you know. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So, um, so, yeah, my mom saw that I had a, a, a thing about keyboards. So she bought me a little keyboard. <laughs> it was by a company called bon, bon Tempe, a Bon Tempe organ. Bon Tempe. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and, I have seen that before. Really? <laughs> yeah, Bon Tempe. That sounds familiar. Yeah. There's so many. There's so many little home organs. Right, that, right. Yeah. Those little organs that had the, you know, the chords on the left, you know, the B flat F, you know, the, the right. so yeah, in major and minor. Um, okay. So she bought me one of those and, and I begged for piano lessons and she put me in this sort of weird public school kind of piano lesson. I didn't really understand, but it was like a group piano lesson. There was about 10 of us, you know, and okay. we met once a week. And yeah. I was too young to really articulate what I wanted. And I didn't know how to say private instruction, you know, <laughs> but that's yeah. what I wanted. I was like, mom, I want, <laughs> I want it where it's just me and the teacher. Can you sure. get me that? You know? Um, so eventually maybe by the time I turned eight, she found a, a, a piano teacher for me. So that was my first formal instruction in okay. music. Um, prior to that, everything I was playing was by ear. And my mom thought I was a genius because I could play the jazz band Whip It, you know? <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Um, and, and we went to church. We went to First Baptist Church on Minnesota Avenue in Southeast. And, and you know, of course, music is a big thing in church. And I, and I was always paying attention to uh, you know, what music came out of the different choirs in my church and the different, yeah. you know, musicians. Um, and I ended up playing piano for the Sunday school choir and, you know, oh, yeah. that kind of thing, probably by the time I was 13 or so. Um, and, you know, traveling in the summertime back and forth between, you know, New York, where I would spend half of the summer and Tennessee, where I might spend the other half, um, Hip hop was was of course becoming a thing, but yeah. because I was traveling, I got to hear regional stuff, you know. Right. Because it was very regional back then, you know. After after the Sugar Hill Gang and, and Curtis Blow and stuff, you started having you know stuff that you would only hear in Tennessee, and Absolutely, then stuff yeah. you know stuff that I would only hear in New York, and of course DC had its own 
you know, Gogo was kind of its own thing, you know. What were so, the things? Do you remember any specifics? What was stuff you were listening to that caught your ear back then? Like, I remember in Tennessee, there was a song called Space Cowboy. <laughs> like, okay. he's, he's different. He's number one. He's a space cowboy with a laser gun, you know. Oh, <laughs> and, that's awesome. Yeah, and it was like nobody in D.C. had ever heard that, to my knowledge. Right. Like, that was only something I would hear in, in Tennessee, you know. Right. And, uh, you know, Hip-hop in New York, was so regional back it when was it started. so like, regional. It's kind of a beautiful thing, you know, because, you know, people got to kind of hold on to their own thing. Like, this is ours. You know, we sure, did this, you know. Sure. Um, and then, of course, in New York, you know, you might hear, you know, like Run DMC a, a year before it came out anywhere else, you know. Right. Um, and, and things that would get played on the radio in New York that never really made it to radio you know, outside of New York, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, so that was sort of my my sort of beginning. Uh, and, and, and around the house, you know, what was being played, my mom isn't a musician, but she always made sure that I was listening to, like, she always made sure that I was just immersed in culture. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So... There wasn't only music playing in the house. My mom made sure we went to plays. My mom oh, made sure I went to the nice. museums. You know, there, yeah. DC has a beautiful museum scene, you know. Yeah. So she made sure that I was, you know, in museums. She always made sure I had books by authors and poets like Nikki Giovanni and Sonia Sanchez. And so oh, I was reading that kind of stuff um, very early and, and really fell in love with words before, you know, probably most kids do you know like reading right. was something I love to do and same, and yeah, you know yeah and writing became something I really learned love to do so yeah. and and you know around the house we she played everything from you know Nina Simone to to Stevie Wonder and, and, and Aretha and all of those things too but she also played things like the last poets you know oh, yeah, and really? nice. yeah and you know yeah. and we'd she'd sit with me and and read the lyrics to me because of yeah. course you know that stuff is kind of you know there's they were saying of, all kinds of they were saying all kinds of stuff then. but yeah, she wanted to make sure yeah she wanted to make sure that i understood it within the context that it was being right. said you know right. um so so that was that was my grounding now my father Incredible. I can't leave him out. You know, he didn't live with us, but he spent, you know, he always spent a lot of time with me. He's also, I'm also his namesake. Cy Smith is my dad's name. And yeah. And my dad is from Queens originally. And he, he used to sing on the street corner and doo-wop groups, you know, you know, yeah. So doo-wop was his thing. And he used to, whenever I was hanging out with him, it was always about Frankie Lyman and the teenagers. And, yeah. you know, it was all these doo-wop <laughs> groups. Like, he would play for me all the time. And I, I really grew to fall in love with that stuff, too. Same you know? Here, I love it too. Yeah. So that's where I really got my ear for harmony and that kind of thing um, yeah. was my dad. Right. Um, by the time I got to third grade, I think I knew that I could sing but I was so shy. I was painfully shy, (laughs) you know? And so I auditioned for a choir in the third grade at my school. And, and the, it was a new, it was a new teacher. She was unfamiliar to me. So that was one sort of point against me because I didn't know who she was. And then she asked me to do something that I was completely unfamiliar with. 
Okay. And that was to sing the solfege scale. And I didn't know what she was talking about. Yeah. And and she said, yeah. And she said, you know, like like the sound of music, do re mi fa sol la ti do. And I and I didn't know what the sound of music was. That was one thing that we didn't see. Yeah. In the house. You know, yeah. our my thing was if she had they said talk such, about cultural bias. That that right there. That yeah. right there. So, you yeah. know, if she had named something from the whiz, I would have been able to do it. But right. you know, but I didn't know what the sound of music was and and so I clammed up and yeah. And I didn't make it into the choir. And I was so angry at myself. And I was so angry Their with loss. <laughs> well, it was it was okay though, because you know, what happened was I've made a sort of personal vow to myself to never show up anywhere unprepared. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it took me two years and changing a school to, before I, <laughs> before I would audition for a choir again. Right. But but when I did it the next time I was ready. You know, and that that next choir that I auditioned for was the Prince George's County Honors Choir. And this was at the direction of my music teacher in the new school who said, you know, you have a thing like you have a very good ear. I think you should audition for the honors course. And I didn't know what she what that was. But she told me, you know, they only pick about two or three students per school. And, you know. The, the culmination concert is at the Kennedy Center. Have you ever been there? And I was like, what? Dang. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so th- it sounded exclusive and it sounded like something I wanted to be a part of. Yeah. So I, I auditioned for that. I got in and that was the beginning of my journey as a vocalist in the choir circuit, you know. Right, right. And, and that really shaped me in more ways than I can describe. But yeah. I did... Prince George's County Honors Course from fifth or sixth grade all the way to high school, you know, because oh, there's wow, elementary, yeah. yeah, there's middle, and then there's um, high school. And yeah. every year we sang at the Kennedy Center, you know, at, as our final concert, right, wow, you know. that's incredible. It's, a, it's incredible. It's an incredible way to sort of come up. Yeah. And, totally. and from county course, you know, then your teachers will encourage you to try out for all state. You know, yeah. so I so I tried out for all for all state of Maryland, got yeah. into that in high school. And then once you do all state, you can try out for all regional, you know. Okay. And so I did all all Eastern, you know, yeah. um, which I think runs from ran from Maryland all the way up to Maine. Maybe that was okay. that was that was the Eastern region. Um, and then once you do like a regional thing like that, you just start getting invitations um, from different national courses. So at 16, I was invited to sing with the U.S. National Chorus, and that was my first time going to Europe. That's when I realized that music could literally take me around the world. Yeah. You know? (laughs) So, so that was, that was my journey. You That's know, a as beautiful a, day, isn't it? Realizing that you're yeah. in some place and you're like, music got me here. Right, yeah. right, right. But all of that would, wouldn't have happened if I had let that third grade incident stop me from trying again, you know? Right, which is tough for us shy kids. I mean, I was super shy in grade school as well. And to, yeah. to kind of rise above that and realize, okay, but I want to do this and I know I have a gift and you, you obviously had a, you know, like you said, a village around you mm-hmm. to support you and let you know, you know, you can do this. 
Right. You had your background in piano. You knew your harmony. You grew up listening to doo-wop. So right. you were hearing all those harmonies. Right. So it, how did, when you tried out for choir, how, what were the biggest realizations you had in how choir, choral singing was different from doo-wop and chordal harmony you learned on piano? Like what were the biggest obstacles you faced? Um, I mean, the biggest obstacles might've been, you know, just sometimes other kids didn't really hear as as well, maybe, you know, and, yeah, and yeah. so sometimes just having to make sure that I didn't you're 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 only as good as the least uh, as as the <laughs> as the worst person in the section. Sure, you know what sure. I mean? So yeah. you know it, it does band your with section a crappy drummer doesn't Right, sound right. Yeah. And it does your section no good for you to just be like, you know, making sure that you're seen, you know. So I, I think my biggest obstacle was always just sort of making sure that I played well in the sandbox with everybody else. You sure. know what I mean? It's a team and sport. It's a team sport, you know. Yeah. Um, but it was really cool in that I, I learned to, I learned a lot of patience in that regard, you know, yeah. and, and, and sort of how to be a section leader, you know, from yeah. that experience um and and i ended up you know usually being the section leader um yeah. probably from i i can't even tell you probably from elementary school on i was always a yeah. section leader you know yeah. um and so did that entail helping people like if they didn't hear something absolutely like, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. helping people helping helping people hear helping people see you know like sight read and learn how to read because a lot of times you know everybody didn't necessarily read you know yeah so just and you'd already gotten your reading together from learning piano right yeah. right so you know just just and making sure that the other um my fellow singers didn't get impatient with themselves you know because sometimes right. kids would just be like ah you know sure, just making sure. sure that they understood like no this is hard for all of us you know right you got right, this right, right. let's do it yeah, you, you know got this you got the yeah. voice clearly we just have right. to we just have to kind of make it work in this situation right right okay wow yeah, yeah. amazing what a journey i was just watching you know the queen's gambit again and uh mm the the choral singing thing sounds similar and that you're just kind of rising in the ranks slowly but surely playing different right. things going to different contests it just builds and builds and right builds. Oh, right man. yeah well, so man the kennedy center that's not a bad series of first gigs i guess it's it's really not and i remember <laughs> i remember my mom taking me there after i made it into county course the first time she yeah. took me to the kennedy center so i could see it and, you know, and, and we went into the concert hall, you know, it's a bunch of different halls within yeah. the Kennedy Center, so, but we played the concert hall, which is the main hall. Yeah. And uh, she took me in there to see it and I couldn't believe it. Like I'd never seen a pipe organ that big, you know, right. and it was just amazing. And now even to this day, Dan, whenever I play at the Kennedy Center, yeah. you know, I, I get I, I become, you know, a sixth grader all over again. Like sure, it's, sure. it's a, it's a really beautiful, magical place for me, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you clearly loves <clears throat> doing something as much as you do. And we all do. That's why we do this. Right. We love it. But uh, right. yeah, I mean, you grow up seeing people and hearing people at these places and it's just, it's a magical scenario. Yeah. It's a magical thing to be a part of. Yeah. And even, you know, even with all of that, 
all of that singing and stuff that I was doing in the choral circuit. Um, and, and then sometimes I did, um, you know, like I would do chamber choir in high school and women's choir, which were, you know, smaller things. And then, you know, we would break off into smaller sections and do uh, solo and ensemble sort of competitions, you know, like regional sort of competitions. And, 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 and then I would, you know, I competed a couple of times um, as a soloist, but classical vocal, right? I didn't really start singing contemporary music until I finished high school, and and that and that's when my mom let me join a go-go band because that was the agreement. You can't join a band until you finish high school, you know. Yeah, yeah. So when I joined the band, then I, I I was playing keys and singing back up in that band. It was called Royalty Queens. That was the name oh. of our band. <laughs> and Queens, yeah, Royalty Queens. And I you know I sang back up and played keys and <clears throat> sort of had to, uh, I you know I had to sort of approach music differently than I had been because of course playing keys and stuff we didn't have charts I just had to figure out whatever I was playing you know and usually I was playing the horn parts or string lines and that kind of thing um so I, I had to regroup and sort of get back into you know learning by ear again which was a fine discipline right a different discipline <laughs> the band right discipline versus the reading charts discipline. right exactly yeah. and you know, go-go bands have a front line, you know, like a lead talker and a lead singer, whatever. And um, so our front line girls, to me, they were just the most amazing singers, you know, or, yeah. uh, singers slash rappers, you know, and I, and I just loved what they did as far as knowing how to relate with the audience and bringing, yeah. bringing everybody engaging. in and engaging. Yeah. And I thought about it you know, in in retrospect, I remember my mom taking me to a play called Your Arms Too Short to Box with God at the Warner Theater. And Patti LaBelle was the lead in this oh. musical. Uh -oh. And we had front row seats. And, you know, I was probably, I don't know, eight years old, right? Yeah. And at the end of the play, uh, like a curtain call sort of, you know, number. Patty LaBelle comes out, she's singing and, you know, doing, doing Patty, you know, and she kind of jumps off the stage and she comes right to me and takes my hand and stands me up. And, she, and no way. I mean, and I was just like, I was, <laughs> I was blown away. And that's probably the moment when I realized this is what I want to do, you know? And I, you know, and it was, it was a weird sort of thing for me because I knew I was never going to sound like Patti LaBelle. Right? I just knew what Nobody kind of, will except for Patty. right, right. <laughs> I just knew what kind of instrument I had, yeah. or at least, you know, to me. And, and this was, a, I was a very young girl, but, you know, fast forward to the go-go band and seeing that same sort of, you know, engagement, sort of reignited reignited that that feeling you know like yeah. this is what i want to do but i was still very painfully shy okay sure sure and, <laughs> so it was still very much like pulling teeth to get me mm -hmm. to sing lead on anything you know yeah. um it was it was like pulling teeth to get me to sing lead in church anywhere you know <laughs> yeah. um 
So it, it's and nobody would believe this now, but it it was it was really really hard for me to break out of that shell, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm sort of I jumping think a ahead. A lot of artists. I mean, we've all met so many artists through the years, and ninety percent of people I know that do this for a living were mm -hmm. shy kids. A yeah. lot of them, and also you know just sensitive kids. I mean, you right. don't. You don't channel this beautiful, I'm not speaking of myself here, but I'm saying <laughs> yeah. you channel, you know, the, the reason you can express yourself with music so well is because you're a sensitive person and you take things, you know, you're kind of always an observer and yes. watching things. And, and for a lot of us, it takes, takes a lot of time and practice to break out of that. Yeah. You know, it, it's it, what, what was weird was I wasn't a shy kid in okay. any other way. Like, ah. Only it was only about singing, but I could okay. stand up in the class and tell jokes. I could, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I it was it was sort of my job in the family to imitate other people in the family. You know, like it, I was I wasn't shy in any other regard except for singing. And I think it was right. because singing is such an intimate yeah. thing, you yeah. know, so that to me was, I, I think, you know, it, it's like taking off your clothes and being naked in front of everybody. You know, that's Absolutely. what it felt, you know, that's what it felt like to me. Well, that's what yeah. it, I mean, I sing too, not at the level you are, but I love singing, have always loved singing. Yeah. And I've stood in front of 60,000 people playing guitar before, but singing in front of people mm -hmm. is all, mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you are, you're right. You're, ex, you're exposing yourself. Yeah. And that's yeah. something I'm slowly learning over the last 10 years that I can, you know, you kind of just have to be like, use it or lose it. You've got this thing, right. you got to either do it or you're not going to do it. Right. But you can't, you can't be worried about it. You know, you got to right. do it. Yeah. You got to just do it. Yeah. You just got to trust, trust your instrument. You know, you got to practice and all that stuff. You have to practice. You got to put Absolutely. the hours in, but then yeah. you have to trust what you, you know, trust the work that you have, that you put into it, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an interesting, uh, you know, difference in coming up singing in choral groups, like you said, where you're a part mm -hmm. of a thing and you're playing the Kennedy Center. And mm -hmm. although there is an audience exchange with the audience, they're applauding after you're done, I would assume. Mm -hmm. But that exchange you have when you're in the front line at a club with a go-go group or with a right. band in a club and you're you're reaching out and bringing a young girl up with you or connecting with the audience. Right. It's two totally separate right. of, you know, experiences. Right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And I don't know about you, Dan, but like I find that singing in a, you know, armory full of, you know, 15,000, 20,000 people is yeah. way easier than at the, a club. you know, temple bar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It is you know? those small club, but which is why, you know, you see big groups like the Stones who still, you know, they can sell out arenas. Right. But they still on all their tours go and do club dates too. Uh, because that's the thing that you know, it, thing. it's kind of like make it or break it and like yep. can you still relate with a crowd close up? Because that's the right. most important thing. That's you know? the most important thing. Yeah. And that's yeah. you know, that's where you can really, you know, tell the men from the boys, so to speak, you know? <laughs> right. Well, it's that connection. And if you, mm -hmm. you know, music is all about connection. And if you can't mm -hmm. connect, you, you can't connect. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
I was uh, reading, obviously, go back to your mom and talking about um, her uh, uh, going to Howard University, and then you mm -hmm. ended up, you ended up there. I um, did getting a science, a bachelor of science in psychology and talking yeah. about, you know, something that would, I would assume come in real handy in the music business, dealing with all <laughs> these personalities. All Talk right. about going to Howard and your degree and how that helped in, um, how, how, it, how, how it's helped in the music business. You know, um, well, first of all, going to Howard was the best decision I could have ever made in my life, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it was an incredible college experience. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't trade it for the world, you know. Yeah. I still am in touch with so many of my friends that I went to school with, and a couple yeah. of my professors, for that matter. Um, right. It's it's that kind of experience, you know. Where my mother told me, you know, if you go to a black college, the the, the professors are going to care about you, and I was like, yeah. oh, mom, you just They'll, you know, they'll care wherever you go. But, you know, and she'll say, you know, if you go to a black college, you know, she would tell me what experiences would be like. And I didn't really believe her because I was a teenager. But <laughs> but she was right, you know. Uh, and Howard was all of those things. I went yeah. into psychology because my mother um, was a clinical psychotherapist or a clinical social worker who had a okay. practice, you know, as a, a private practice among among the other things that she did um, in hospitals, in hospital administration. Uh, so, you know, my mom and I would sit around and watch, you know, videos and uh, like sort of psychological vignettes, you know, and, and where we would diagnose a patient, <laughs> you know, like this is what we did for fun. So yeah, right. psychology That's is great. what I, <laughs> psychology is what I went into thinking that that was, you know, gonna be my, my road um, because it wasn't really until my junior year that I committed, that I knew I was ready to make a commitment towards trying to have a career in music. Mm. Um, I was in an acapella group at Howard called In Time. And yeah, yeah and, and, and we had a lot of fun, but In Time was really where I sort of started to come out of my shell as a singer, you know, because yeah. they really pushed me um, to, to sing leads on a lot of things. and. And and they also encouraged my songwriting too. Um, okay, how uh, and, in time was all Howard students as well? It, yeah, we were. Okay. Um, gotcha. It was Gino Young, uh, Daryl Hunt, uh, Alvin Clay, uh, Alvin Thomas, uh, Lauren Samuel, and Angela May, and myself. So it was okay. co-ed sort of Manhattan transfer meets boys to men kind of thing, you know? Oh wow, yeah. Um, and. Yeah. So, and there was also, I had a good friend named Scotty Beats who was an engineer and he worked at a studio in the area and he kind of saw that I had a thing. So he would take me into the studio and really teach me how to record, um, you know, in the studio, which was a different type of singing, you know, right. uh, taught me how to lay vocals and taught me how to sort of produce vocals. Um, and, and then taught me how to sort of flesh out my songs on, on a track, you know, yeah. um, Scotty taught me all of that. Um, Just so as far but, as multi-tracking and layering yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. And layering yourself. So, yeah. so between those two experiences is really how I sort of came to shape and be shaped, you know, as a recording artist, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and by the time I was a junior and was sort of being recruited for grad school programs in psychology, I was like, 
I don't, I think, I think I'm going to take a break. <laughs> you know, and I yeah. told my mom, I think I, I don't want to go to grad school immediately. And, and she was like, okay, I get that. And I told my dad and he was like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, I wasn't sure what exactly I was going to do. I just knew I wasn't going to go to grad school immediately. And, yeah. and after I finished at Howard, I worked on Capitol Hill for a while, but I was oh, still wow. singing within time. And I auditioned for a play and maybe I didn't hear anything like for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, probably. And then I ran into, I think in time was auditioning for Motown records. They had this big Carol call audition at this oh, club. Wow. So yeah. we were there to audition for that. But I ran into the guy who auditioned me for the play, the director of this play. And he said, Hey, you're my angel. Angel was the character. Ah. And he said, I've been looking for you. I, I lost their contact or whatever. Do you want to come to California and be in this play? And I was like, this guy, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever, man. Yeah, I'll go to California. And, yeah. and two weeks later, a plane ticket came in the mail. And and wow. because yeah, this was still, still was when tickets yeah, this <laughs> is still still when paper tickets were a thing. Right. And and I and I flew to L.A. and I did this musical, but that's what got me here was to wow. to to do this play, and and then I fell in love with L.A. and was like, I gotta stay here. And I I went back to D.C. and got my belongings and drove back. You know. Wow. Yeah, and mom and dad were cool with this. Some dude sending you a plane ticket coming out to California. They were like, "Go right ahead, no problem." You know, I don't know <laughs> what was going through their heads, but I think they trusted that they raised me to be smart enough to know yeah. what I was getting into, you know, right. or you know, and to not get myself into anything that was untowards, you know, untowardly or anything like that, you know? Which is what all we can do, right? As all you can do as parents, you know, is just let let the kid leave the nest and <laughs> pray for the best, spread you know? Spread their wings and trust their instincts. <laughs> and trust their instincts. But, but the play was uh, short-lived, but, okay. but in that production, I really came out of my shell once again, even further, uh -huh. you know? Yeah. Um, and then, and then once that was over, I, I met up with um, some Howard people who lived here in Los Angeles and okay. began networking with them. And then they would take me around to meet other musicians. This was when uh, a band called Polyester Players was playing at Luna oh, Park right, right, right. every yeah, Tuesday yeah. night. Luna and Park, so man. Luna Park. And so my oh, friend Gordon Campbell was the drummer. Uh -huh. um, and Gordon went to Howard and Gordon yeah. introduced me to, you know, everybody who was anybody, you know, in, in, in terms of music. So I met, uh, some producers named sauce and fuzzy and row, and they were in a group called something for the people. Okay. And they had just come off of, you know, the, the success of producing a few songs on Brandy's first album. Okay. And they, they were, working on a new artist who was about to come out named Eric Benet, you know, right, and, right. and so sauce um, was like the main producer in the group. Sauce kind of took me under his wing. And once again, this is a producer kind of really showing me how to flesh things out, and, you know, and yeah. so I was able to build up my songwriters catalog because that's yeah. what I wanted to do, Dan. I wanted to right. be a songwriter. 
Yeah. That was my whole intention, you know, that was coming a smart out of instinct, so. <laughs> You know, I you would think, I don't know, but but what happened was my songwriting demo, like the cassette or the dat, yeah, <laughs> that's how long right. ago it was. The dat, yeah. everybody that I all the publishing places that I went to, BMI and you know, all of these places, they all thought it was like a recording artist demo because I sang oh. all the songs. Yeah. And they were like, she should get a recording deal. She should get a deal. She should get a deal. And yeah. that's not what I was going for. And I yeah. was like, no, 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 no. And then finally, I just took a deal because I was like, this is the only way I'm going to get these songs out, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, and so I got, I took a deal with Hollywood Records. Yeah. Um, and they had a very brand new sort of urban music department and you know so that situation was strange for all kinds of reasons this is 90s late 90s this is like yes this is like 98 99 Okay. okay it was strange because the urban department at hollywood records how do you say this, Dan? It felt very Plessy versus Ferguson, you know, okay. <laughs> like it was very <laughs> separate, but equal kind of thing. Like, gotcha. like the, the people who worked in the urban department were in a whole separate section of the, the Hollywood records floor, you know, and then like, you know, for things that you would think the record company, like I remember the, publicity um person at hollywood records yeah he wasn't in the urban department he was just at hollywood records but i remember him telling me you know we're gonna source out um for your bio because i don't know how to write an urban bio like what is an urban bio (laughs) (laughs) can't you just write a bio and me can't you you just write a bio yeah Yeah. so there was very it was a very strange thing like they wanted urban music but they didn't really have too much experience with black people yet right yeah. right and 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 they didn't really seem keen at the time on on bringing or hiring people that might have experience in that regard Got you know you. right and they so, and how long did, did they ever did they start bringing people on board to make it a little bit easier not not while I was there. No, and like no. by the time I did my album, they ended up not even releasing the whole album because they were just, it was almost like they, what's the phrase? They want our rhythm, but not our blues. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, it was, yeah. so it was a very sort of like, they wanted me to change a lyric on okay. one of my songs because they felt like it was, a, you know, it was, it was really a song about, uh, about um, an uprising in the community because of uh, an, a, a sense of injustice that, that the community felt. And they wanted me to change the lyric, you know? And I was just like, this was the same lyric that you guys, you know, signed me on. That's crazy. Right, no, right. you know, uh, it wasn't like it was cussing or anything. It was just this uprising. And they right. didn't want, they didn't want the, the, uh, the community to build, to burn this store down. That's what happened in the verse. Right. Um, so yeah, I don't know if they ever did, you know, change that, but not while I was there, they didn't, but the, the good part about all of this, that, that whole experience was, um, they did make, make it so that I could work with some of my dream team 
producers, you know, like on my dream list, you know. So that's how I ended up working with Ali Shaheed Muhammad because he was number one on my list of producers that I wanted to work with, you know. Um, uh, You know, and that's how I worked with, well, James Poyser and I were friends, but, you know, I got to to work with some really great people, you know, and do some great songs. And then, you know, did a promo tour that once again pulled me out of my shell a little bit more and yeah. and even though they didn't release the album, I felt like a part of me was released, you know. Right. You figured and, out kind of the key to something that you wanted to do on yes. your next, next turn it back. Yes. Yeah. And I and I and I really learned that there was a thing about being on stage in the front and center. There was a a thing about being amplified in that kind of way that I fell in love with, you know, to finally not be invisible, you know, and to have a platform where y'all have to listen to me because I have the mic, you know, that kind of thing, (laughs) (laughs) you know. Um, And then by the end of whatever performance, you know, winning the audience over, you know, there was was really something about that that I fell in love with, telling stories and, and, and engaging people in the same way that, or in a similar way that that Patti LaBelle performance did for me, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, so the I got a lot. Is powerful. I mean, you know, yes. there's a reason that, especially back in the, you know, the heyday of the sixties and seventies that the government was watching everyone from John Lennon to James Brown to Otis Redding, right. because they had that mic and they were saying yep. stuff that hadn't been said before. Right, right. Yeah, and and yeah. saying it in a way that uh, so many people could hear it, you know, exactly. and exactly. galvanizing that energy, you know, yeah, it's a yeah. powerful thing. It's yeah. a really powerful thing. Yeah, probably the most powerful thing. Yeah, music is the most powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What was it like when you were when you were first dealing just on a technical standpoint, mm-hmm. when you moved here and you were getting these offers from Hollywood Records? Did you already have connections to attorneys and stuff to help you look through contracts? Oh, that's a good question. I didn't. Well, I had an attorney, but it was like, uh, I think I met this attorney through some mutual friends who also used him, you know? Yeah. yeah, So, uh, but I had no experience with that prior to, you know, uh, right. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And what about songwriting and publishing and all that stuff? Who, I who mean, helped you out figuring that stuff all out? It was really sort of, I mean, it was really me sort of figuring that kind of stuff out as I went, you know? Yeah, sure. And even, it, even still, it's like we're still figuring it out because every time <laughs> the platforms change, you know, the technology changes, yeah. the the collections change too, you know? Exactly, exactly. Um, so it's like, so this is, this sort of, you know, publishing and all of that stuff, publishing and performing rights yeah. are constantly in flux. And and I, I find myself constantly yeah. having to keep up with, <laughs> yeah. keep up with that stuff. Yeah. It's nonstop. I, I, I luckily have a friend, Bill Coulter, who works for Music Reports, who collects mm-hmm. all the streaming and he keeps me up to date. But it's like, I'm really, you know, like you've got to, you know, first it was just your PRO, ASCAP or BMI or whoever mm-hmm. you were with. 
And then you're having to, you know, you just, I, I feel like I'm constantly having to take my entire songwriting catalog and upload it to some other company's site so that I can right. like, you really have to be on top of who's controlling what, who you're getting mm -hmm. your money from. Cause mm -hmm. you're right. It constantly changes. It's yeah. kind of, constantly being hopefully updated and made easier, but yeah, it's a lot yeah. to keep track of as an artist. You it's want to just focus on your music and right. You got all that stuff to deal with too. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. um now I have my uh administration is going through Missing Link publishing. Shout out to okay. Missing Link. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's it's quite a lot. Um and you know, when you read stories about, you know, a famous songwriter or or not so famous songwriter or a musician who, yeah. you know, maybe died penniless but their song was sampled and, you know, made a lot of money for whoever sampled it, you know, and you, you're just like, how could something like that happen? But the, the, the fact is the way the business of music is constructed here, at least yeah. in America, it, 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 it's almost made so that the artist is at the very bottom of the totem pole, yeah. <laughs> you know? That's true. That's true. Um, so you really have to make sure that you're laying your bricks, you know, early on, you know. Well, yeah, you, and you can't, you know, I mean, obviously there's this glorified kind of, you know, biography of like the elegantly wasted rock star, you know, and it's like mm -hmm. – in this day and age, you just can't be that person anymore. You got to be on, in addition to making your art fantastic and mm -hmm. making all that stuff happen, you got to be on top of your business too. You can't afford yeah. to just be stoned all the time, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, you definitely can't afford to be stoned all the time. You, <laughs> it, it's, you Work know. Work hard and play hard, of course, but like. Right. You know, yeah, there's a lot to be stay on top, on top of. So of. Many mm -hmm. That's yeah. True. yeah. 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 And it's, and you know, I know that a lot of people are like, you know, but I just want to sing or I just want to play or I just want to produce. But, yeah. you know, no, you don't. You don't just want to do any of that. You yeah. also want to make a living at it, you know, right. and part of that is making sure that you're staying on top of all of it. You exactly. Know? Exactly. Yeah. 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 When you can't eat and can't pay your bills, you're not going right. to be singing too much. Right. 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 And And it's OK to say, you know, that you don't necessarily want to be a superstar or whatever. I get all yeah. of that, you know, yeah. I don't necessarily want to be a superstar either, you know, like, but, but no matter what level of the game you want to play, you still, it would still behoove you to make sure, you know, as much yeah. as you can to make, to, so that you get as much as you can out of it, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a lot to get out of it. Because sure. there's a lot to get out of it. Yeah. No, no reason somebody else should be making that money besides the person who created that art. Right, people, right, People right. should get their cut because they're helping you do their thing. But that artist, right. the artist should definitely be getting the lion's share. Exactly. Exactly. And why, and why shortchange yourself, you know? Exactly. You're worth it. Yeah. You're a cr yeah. awesome, creative human being. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. It's funny you mentioned Luna Park, though, because I know you sang with Macy and the one track I played on with her, I had played Luna Park with Breakestra, I think, Miles, uh -huh. the group I was in with Miles and Carlos. Uh -huh. and, and at like two in the morning, I get a call from Macy, you know, Dan, come over, can you come over to the studio? Like, 
I was like, okay, it's two in the morning, but okay. So I came by and that was the, I played on one song on her first record. And uh, oh. it was where I met Dave Wilder. and, and Oh, Arik, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Arik. What and, song uh, was it? It's called Rather Hazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which was like, I didn't know it even made the record. Dave told me like 10 years later because it was like, wow. it wasn't on the American version of the record. It was only on wow. the Brazilian and English and stuff. So I could have right. gotten like a gold, you know, whatever. Pla I don't know. Yeah. She sold that first record a lot, but yeah. I didn't even know it had made it until, you know, like 10 wow. years later. <laughs> but it's wow. a pretty, really that pretty is, song. That's cool. That's yeah, so cool. All at Luna Park. R.I.P. Luna Park. R.I.P. Luna Park. That was, that was, that was an era. <laughs> it sure was. Yeah. yeah Luna Park well, and T Temple Bar was an era too, man. I oh, remember man. seeing B Breakestra a couple of times. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Amazing. I loved Breakestra. Oh, man. Me too. Yeah. It was fun. I did that for like eight years and had a blast, man. We went yeah, to that was a killing band. Oh, thanks. That's super fun. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, enough about me. So uh, <laughs> let's get, if we can, can we get back to Hollywood? And I know, you know, like label heads change, artists get dropped. And uh, mm -hmm. that's just a common thing with so many. You get dropped, right. you learn things from that and move on to yeah. other scenarios. But what is it like? What is that situ What was that situation like for you? What led to it? And how did you yeah. overcome it? And what was your next so, step? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So I, you know, Hollywood and I parted ways probably in 2001 and, and, you know, cause it was clear they weren't going to release the album. You know, they had two different versions of this album that I had done. Um, and they'd gone through a new president and I was just like, Oh, this is never going to happen. Just let me go. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and at the time I was, I'm, I was lucky because my all of my eggs weren't in the recording artist basket yeah. um they had released a single on me gladly was the name of it um but i was still singing backup for different people and and doing a lot of work on at at, at that point i had started doing some tv work um yeah. like on this show called ally mcbeal right um, i saw you were you were on that that's crazy yeah yeah it's crazy and and cool. you, and and a lot of stuff with ricky minor yeah. And by that point, I, I had done Whitney Houston, and I, I think I was going out with Shaka Khan every now and then, and you know, so I was I was busy. Yeah. Um, so even though I, you know, that breakup probably, like, I was probably down for a little bit, but yeah. I didn't have, I didn't have the stresses that other recording artists might have. You know, yeah. because I because I was working. You know, busy. Yeah, I was not busy. Not too much time to be down about it. Right, not too much time to be down about it, and all my bills were paid. You know, right. um, so maybe after a few months of just sort of trying to figure it out, yeah. um, I I was like I was doing these shows here in town yeah. called Bitchcraft. I read and, about this. Yeah, tell me about that in Lamar Park, right? Yeah, in Lamert Park. So Bitchcraft started because nobody nobody in town would really book me as far as clubs went because they didn't really understand what I was doing. You know, you okay. you got to think back to 2001. You know, R&B was still like sort of you're either like Ashanti or you're not. 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was very sort of, you know, or, and if you're, you know, I wasn't rapping, you know, so yeah. there wasn't really, there weren't really a lot of spaces for a girl like me to play. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, maybe I should just start a venue, you know, and yeah. then I can play it. You know, so yep. Bitchcraft was the venue, you know, and, and I did it out of a coffee house called Lucy Florence Coffee House. Okay. And and I set it up so that I could uh, I could have other women perform. Yeah. And then I would perform at the end. So it wasn't just about me. It was a showcase for women. And, and it wasn't just singers. It was like I had comedians. I had dancers you know i had dramatic interpretations from actors and 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 then my friend dj spark she would spin between acts and then i would come out and do my my performance and it was really cool um because it gave a lot of us you know a place to shine whereas we wouldn't have had those places you know that place lesson lesson to our listeners here you know if you're not getting the work you want create the work you want yes yeah create the venue. And so we create outgrew the, the coffee house and we had to move across the uh, the way into this little theater space that was in the same complex in Lamert okay. Park. And, um, and so I was doing all of this and I didn't have an album to sell. And people after the shows would always be like, where's the CD? Where's the CD? And I was yeah. like, why don't I have a CD? So I put like five songs together that I had that weren't on the album that I had just done for this record company that was never going to come out because I, and I couldn't use that stuff, you know? So I was like, I I put these five songs and went over to disc makers in Burbank and was like, how much would it cost for me to make the CD? You know? (laughs) And, and so I I, I just did that, printed up a thousand of them and sold them at the shows. But when they started selling, that's when I realized like, Oh, I could do this as an artist by myself, you know? Right. And this was before independent, you know, independent music was even associated with R&B. Anytime you heard independent, mm-hmm. independent, it was usually associated with rock, you know, indie rock, indie rock. But nobody yeah. ever really talked about indie soul. But yeah. that's what this was becoming, you know, yeah, was yeah. was a foray into uh, indie soul that, that hadn't really been done out here yet sure, you know sure. yeah. and i didn't and know it at the... too too short and all those people right right people were just selling making their own stuff dj quick and all kinds of people right. were selling stuff out of their car just, out of their cars right yep. but you didn't really hear about too many uh, you know r&b or soul or right. whatever you want to call us doing that um yep. and at the time you know there was like there were a couple like there was medusa you know she, yep. out here doing doing her thing um kim hill was doing it you know yeah Kim. Yeah. so there were a couple of us kind of on that thing and now that i look back at it we were sort of pioneering that scene you know um for indie soul here in la uh you know and 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 it's it's kind of interesting to to see where it is now you know um but but that's that's what we were doing and and so that's how i got into just making my own records and selling them myself you know and how'd you where'd you record these records how'd you go about doing that i recorded at a little um studio in i guess it was north hollywood burbank 
kind of right up there on the border um, called Barry Paul Recording. Barry Paul was an engineer. Yeah, he was an engineer from um, from the UK. He passed away a couple of years ago, but that's where I did most of my recording. Barry Paul's, okay. you know, old British guy, always smoking a cigarette, you know, <laughs> but Classic. but could yeah. record and mix the hell out of shit, you know, oh, and dope. and yeah, yeah and um, and he had it, you know, so that I we could record live, you know, live tracking as well as you know if I was just bringing in a track and recording to that, you know, he was just really good at, at, at everything, you know? Um, so Barry did most of my recording for up until my album conflict. So that's a lot of the, a lot of my stuff. Um, yeah. Like from the cyberspace social, you know, Yeah. yeah, Barry did that. Um, and then I moved over to Grant Nicholas, who uh, was also based out of North Hollywood, Burbank, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh, and Grant Nicholas, uh, actually, Grant was originally in Winnetka, up okay. at up at the studio that used to belong to Captain and Tennille. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> I remember because it was shaped like a boat. Oh, really? <laughs> the the building birth. looked like a boat. <laughs> you know, Captain's real last name is Dragon. Really? Yeah, there it's like him and his he had two brothers and their dad was a film composer. Um, I think his name was Dennis Dragon, or maybe that's one of the boys. But the dad was a film composer. They grew up in Malibu. Oh wow. Three boys all were yeah, the dragon family. The dragon family. (laughs) And the cat the guy who turned into the captain Uh came from this super musical family of of dragon brothers or whatever. I didn't know that. Anyway, Side yeah, story. so Grant Nicholas, yeah, no, no. Grant Nicholas became my engineer probably from about 2008 on to, two, on to now. Um, okay. And he was in Winneka and then moved down to Burbank. Um, and and now he's in Baltimore, which is a whole other weird thing because now I've had to learn how to record myself and then, you know, send him everything. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I, I'm not the girl who likes to record herself. Like I'm not that artist at all. Well, it's tough to do both things at the same time: produce yourself and sing mm-hmm. at the same time. You know, it's it's really tough. It's really tough for me to split my brain as I'm working. You know, sure. and that's what it requires. Um, yeah. But you know, the fact that my engineer moved back to Baltimore and and the pandemic kind of forced me to get used to this, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I actually set up my mic right here in my bedroom because I have yeah. all these blankets and stuff around and curtains and dampens nice. the sound pretty well. And I have a really good mic. Uh, yeah. and, it, and it's a very simple setup, you know, for recording. But yeah, if if you hear anything from me from 2021 on, it's probably recorded here in my bedroom. The 2020 oh, stuff, the stuff that I did for you, I did up in my attic. <laughs> oh, okay. That sounded good too. Man. That's, cool. I still get compliments on that single. People. Oh, good. You, I'm glad. Boy, that know, was man. fun. But that, that was probably so, my first, Dan, that was the first time I really recorded myself. Okay. And, and well done. Thank you. <laughs> I was so nervous. Yeah. I was so nervous because it, you know, because first of all, the song was so dope. I just wanted to make sure I sent you something good, you know? Oh, you did. And, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it's, uh, people talk about, you know, obviously we all, all of us who have studios have nice mics and stuff, but it's a testament to the performance 
and how oh, beautifully you sang on that. Thank you. I think you probably could have sung on an SM57 and it would have sounded good, you know? Oh, <laughs> thank you. It sounded you. great. You nailed that song. <laughs> thank you. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that that whole thing, this whole sort of pandemic has really been a, a test of, of just being able to sort of roll with the punches in that right. regard, you know? Right. So as comfortable as I might have been, you know, with my, you know, usual, usual going to the studio and recording, da, 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 doing that. Yeah. I had to change and, and be okay with that. And, and, you know, it took a second to get used to it, but you know, that, that flexibility is required. Yeah. Especially in this day and age, but you know, that is such a, that's a, I mean, I've worked with a lot of singers producing a lot of singers and, mm -hmm. and then singing myself, trying to produce myself singing. It's mm -hmm. so difficult. Like you want to, as a singer, you want to just be able to let go. Somebody else can do the editing and be like, Hey, try, you didn't quite hit that one note. Right. Do that again. Right. To do both of those jobs at the same time is a, it's something we should talk about. Cause that's a, it's yeah, it's a hard thing to get used to doing. Producing it's a hard as a thing vocalist. to get. Mm -hmm. It's a hard thing to get used to doing. Um, like I've always been cool, like producing my own vocal, but the mm -hmm. recording and producing part, you know, yeah. for some reason, the fact that I have to hit the record button changes everything for me in my brain, you know, yeah. because yeah. then I have to think about more than my performance, it seems. I don't even know why that line is there, but for some reason there's an invisible line that changes the way I have to do things. I think it's because physically I have to actually move to, to this space and do that and then walk back over to the mic, you know? Yeah, right. And so I have to kind of come out of, come out of my head for a second. Um, and, and then I end up doing that thing that sometimes we do, which is, let me do it again. Let me do it again. Let me do it again. Right. <laughs> you right. know, Absolutely. Uh, ad nauseum. So, so, well, you yeah, know, us engineers are always looking at VU meters and making sure nothing's peaking. And, you know, it's right. Think about your brain to shift into those. You got to like split your brain in half. Almost. Right, right, right. And yeah. And then as I'm recording, as I'm actually singing, I can't really look and see, but I'm, but I'm thinking sure. about it. I'm thinking sure. about it. And I think that's part of, that invisible line I was just talking about is like, you know, gauging, trying to trying to gauge, you know, levels and stuff while I'm singing and, you know, yeah. going back and taking a look at it to see if it looks like it's peaking or not. And, it, you know, ah, you, yeah. <laughs> all of that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, but um, and then still trying to make the space intimate and, and conducive to bringing out the best performance I can give, you know, right. um, it's all such a, it's such a weird thing. And then, you know, I don't know, I don't have like a studio set up, so I don't have like monitors where I can listen back. I'm just in my headphones. So everything is in my head, you know, right. it's, <laughs> you know, all inclusive. it's all inclusive until, mm -hmm. you know, until I get in a car or something. Um, but it, it's just one of those things. Like that's just what it is right now. I just had to. I just had to sort of get used to that. Um, yeah. And 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 I've gotten way way better. 
practice makes perfect. I think all of us have learned so many lessons that we didn't know we'd be learning during right. this pandemic, you know, right? in many different ways. And that's in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm really happy that, I mean, I'm not happy that the pandemic happened, but I am happy that I got this opportunity to sit still long enough to do things like this, like to yeah. do your project, to do to work with friends of mine, like Rachel Eckroth, you know, okay. people that I've been wanting to work with, but, you know, I was literally always in the air, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it was, it's, it's been nice to, to be grounded in this right. way, you know, right. and have time to, to stretch out, you know, yeah. stretch yeah. out artistically and stretch out, you know, <laughs> physically. <laughs> Right. Collaboratively. It's like, I've, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know about you, but the, this pandemic has definitely opened me up to just obviously with the advent of computer recording, it's like, we can just collaborate with people and social media to be fair as well. Right. You right. can reach out to people you didn't think you'd have access to and just right. say, you, you want to try something and mm -hmm. cool stuff happens that way. You know? And cool stuff happens that way. And it's been, it's been a breath of fresh air for me, you know, to be able to just do things that I, I didn't even know w would be something I'd be interested in doing, you know? Right, right. Um, I've been working a lot with my good friend, Jared Faber, who does a lot of um, music and scoring for like animation and TV, you know? Yeah. So he does um, Teen Titans, that kind of thing on yeah. Cartoon Network. Right. Yeah, uh -huh. and, and so that's like a fun part of my voice that I get to use, you know, that I, that I don't get to do that often. You know? Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because I saw you did the voice of was it Aisha on some on yeah a on a show. on a video game. And uh, what is that like? You know, I have one <laughs> other friend who does voiceovers, my friend Alex, and uh, right. What is how is that different? Like, how did you first fall into that, and how is doing voiceover and act, voiceover acting with your voice mm -hmm. different from singing? Singing. And how did you get into how did you get into it? Um. So my uh, at the time I was with an agent. Um commercial agent uh, called BESD. And I was represented them by them. I was represented by them for commercial acting and voiceover acting. Okay. So I got an audition to for this video game called Saints yeah. Row. And right. Saints Row, the character's name was Aisha, like you said. Right. Saints Row, the the I guess the plot of the game, I've never played the game. <laughs> but, play the game it, uh, okay. <laughs> but it was like, you know, Saints Row was like a, a record label, I think, or, oh. you know, kind of like Death Row. And, oh, okay. you know, but there was an a, uh, underworld crime element happening, you know, with okay. the, you know, that kind of thing. And so there are all, all these characters, but Aisha was signed to the label. And, you know, so when I auditioned, I got the part, but I knew that her, I knew that my character was a recording artist. So I just mentioned in the session, when I went to do the session, uh, and, and the session was me just reading Aisha's lines, you know, um, and, and when you do these, it's just you, like I, there were no other actors around. So I'm reading, I'm saying my lines out of context. I don't even, I'm not even re able to react in real time to right, anybody right. else, Nothing you know, to respond to. Right. So what you do is you you have your lines and you say each line probably two or three times in different ways, you know? Okay. So if the line was, fuck you, Johnny, you know, you're like, fuck you, Johnny. Yeah. Fuck you, Johnny. Yeah. Fuck you, Johnny. 
you know, and you just do all three in a row right. and then you go to the next line, you know? Right, right, right. <laughs> um, so edit it and produce it later. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So after the session was over uh, and, and, and this session was, you know, I had all these lines and then I had to do all these noises like fighting noises or grunts or whatever, like, you know, cause there's action. <laughs> so mm -hmm. there's a lot of that. Uh, yeah. And after the session was over, I mentioned to the creator of the game who was there, yeah. like, Hey, I see that Aisha's a recording artist. I'm a recording artist in real life. You know, can I do some music for this game? And he was like, really? You know? Nice. Uh, so he said, I'll, you know, I'll be in touch. So they called my agent and, and I guess they had a bunch of questions for my agent you know, regarding this. So she calls me and she said, Hey, they want to know if you can, you know, write and produce songs for the game. And I was like, yes, you know, <laughs> yeah. yes, I can. And, and she said, okay, they want to know if you can write a song based on a song title that they give you. Mm. And I said, yes, yes. Just tell them. Yes. Tell them I can do whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. I just wanted the gig. Sure. So she called me back and um, they worked out the terms and she said, okay, uh, Sai, I have three song titles for you to write. Uh-oh. <laughs> right. And I was like, okay, okay, I'm ready. And, and I, I got a pen. She was like, okay, the first song title is Bounce Like My Checks. I said, uh, okay, bounce like my checks. Title. Right, right. And I'm like, yeah, that's that sounds that sounds like fun. Bounce yeah. like my checks. All right. And my head is, my wheels are turning. Then she said, okay, the next song title is <clears throat> Leave the Ho. Oh, okay. <laughs> leave, leave the Ho. <laughs> uh -huh. All right. And then she said, all right, uh, this last title, okay. <clears throat> it's um whew, don't fuck me <laughs> don't fuck me like I'm your wife. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You're like, Shit, what did I get myself into? Right. But <laughs> Dan, I I'll tell you what, I had so much fun writing these songs for this bet, character. Yeah. <laughs> and I had so much fun writing that last title that I ended up keeping it and writing a whole new song with that title. Right. Because uh, the first one that I did came out so good that I just wanted it for myself. And <laughs> and I wrote an entirely different one and uh, produced awesome. a, an entirely different track for the game. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's such a, a phenomenon. I've heard that story from a lot of people where you, you get a gig to do something and you write something and you're like, I don't know if I can give this away. Right. I need to do another draft <laughs> and keep this for me. <laughs> that's exactly what happened oh that's cool that's yeah crazy. and to this day that was a long time ago but to this day uh you know if you go on youtube and look up aisha bounce like my checks or aisha leave the hoe right aisha like i'm your wife yeah. i mean the comments are so hilarious because people <laughs> who played the game really loved those songs oh, and they that's were great. and they were really angry that aisha got killed off so oh. you know I know. If you're watching Saints Row people, bring Aisha back. <laughs> you know I'm going to be doing this weekend. I'm going to be looking that up. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Well, I, I, I would I would be uh, remiss if I didn't ask you about all of your singing gigs because you've gotten so many with so many legendary singers. And 
for all our budding background singers out there or just singers in general, mm-hmm. I mean, you've mm-hmm. sung with Shaka Khan, you've sung with Whitney Houston, you sang with Macy Gray, of course. Yeah. And how do you go about getting those gigs and those auditions? And what do you do personally to prepare for auditions like that when you know, okay, Whitney Houston wants me to come possibly be a background singer, her management does. How do you go into those situations and prepare yourself? Um, well, the Whitney Houston thing, the way it happened, wasn't even something I was preparing for. I was just picking okay. up a good friend from her audition. Oh, okay. And, and when I picked her up, her name is Charlotte Gibson. When I picked mm. Charlotte up, she introduced me to Ricky Minor and was like, Ricky, this is my good friend. You should hear her sing. She's really yeah. good. And Ricky yeah. was like, okay, let's hear you right now. And the mics were still set up and, and <laughs> you know, and he had the boombox still there on the floor and it was like, okay, let's do I'm Every Woman. And he pressed play and, you know, it's like, and the three of us, me, me, Ricky and Charlotte stood at the mics and sang the chorus, uh, you know, and he had me on the top and, and, you know, that's what happened, you know? And yeah. then he was like, okay, that's pretty good. Let's switch parts. Sai, yeah. you take the middle, you know, and had me there and then, okay let's do the bridge bam and so he said okay you're pretty good if i ever need a soprano i'll give you a call and that's that's how i got that gig yeah like two months two or three months later he called and said hey how would you like to do constitution hall with whitney houston live on hbo Damn. And I was like, what yes please please, exactly (laughs) um but you know how how to prepare you know sometimes the the audition will will give you very specific preparation you know they'll tell you what songs to learn um sometimes you know you should just come sort of knowing the main body of work you know for for these artists that you might be auditioning for you should you know you should sing i think it would be really wise to get with other singers as a section and right. and practice together, you know, practicing and backups together and, and switch parts within your section so that all right. three of you or, you know, three or four of you know all the parts, you know, right. like I think right. that would be a wise thing to do. Um, some artists that I have toured with, uh, I've sort of created the role in that situation, like Michelle and Deggio Cello hmm. didn't really have parts for me she just wanted me to to do what i do you know and Mm -hmm. and and i got and she had it was michelle uh kenny allen was playing guitar and singing at the time so i just listened to what they were doing together the two of them and i kind of got in where i fit in you know what i mean and that and that that was just sort of a a thing that i'm able to do uh it was sort of the same way with sheila e you know like Mm. I was the only designated singer at the time. So I just sort of created the role, you know, uh, uh, created the part, so to, so to speak. Um, uh, and, and I think it's, I don't know how to teach people to do that, you know? <laughs> no, of course, but it, it seems, I mean, it's obviously an intuitive thing because you produce mm-hmm. as well is, does this track need something or does it not, you know? Right. Like exactly. when to lay out and when not, you know, when not to lay, when, when it needs something versus when it doesn't, you know. Right. Exactly. That's the main thing is, is, is you have to remember that you are a, in this particular situation, 
your role is a supporting vocalist. So yeah. where does your artist need support? Right. You know, right. that's that's the question to add, uh, to answer, and yeah. and and that's the role to fill. Where yeah. does where does the artist need support? Where does the song need support? Or where does a sure. lyric need support? You know, yeah. and that's where, where you push. Where right. Yeah, mm -hmm. the transition. Right. You know, where yeah. does where does where does doubling make sense? Where does harmony make sense? Where does sure. an ad lib make sense? You know, right. Like you don't have to fill in every space, yeah. you know. Exactly. Well, it goes back to what we first started talking about when you were talking about singing in choir is being team players, you know. Yeah. It's like, the more you can make that song or that performance shine as a whole. Mm hmm the more chances you're going to have getting more gigs because you made that right. you made that ensemble sound good with your contribution. Right, right, and that's the goal. That's the goal, right. you know, to make that, the ensemble, that. you know, be as good as possible, and to make the show one of the most memorable experiences that that audience has ever seen. You know, yeah, yeah. Oh boy, yeah, amazing. amazing. <laughs> well. Um, my last question for you today is just one, just because I've been married 20 years now, but I know you married wow, your husband, Sean, along, yes. uh, in 2010, I think I read. Yes, that's right. And um, it's just so interesting to me because, you know, it takes a rare person to be married to one of us creative types. Say that again, and... brother. <laughs> <laughs> they have a lot of patience and yeah. uh, we're so grateful for them. And yeah. I just was curious what Sean does. How does married life uh, navigate the constant fluctuation of activity and mm -hmm. the ups and downs of getting calls and then not getting calls? Right. Feast and famine, you know, right. how you how do you plan getaways versus last minute paying gigs and mm -hmm. all that stuff? That's just a <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh you know I'm lucky because Sean my husband is also an artist he's an actor and a mm. filmmaker and a mm. director so you know so that's his world acting film tv you know and and he happens to play piano he's a fantastic classical pianist okay. so so he really gets it you know uh yeah. I don't really have to explain much to him in you know, in regards to what it is that we do and, and the kind of needs that I might have, you know, as, sure. uh, you know, as his partner, like we both kind of intuitively know when we need space, you know, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and, and during the pandemic, we've been able to really have cool conversations and, and, you know, like fall into a pattern of waking up and we both have our coffee or whatever. And, He'll, you know, we'll be like, what are you doing today? Or I need to record and da da da. Okay, well, I need to practice piano, you know. And it's like, okay, we can figure this out, da 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 da, you know. Yeah. Um, but over the years, we've worked together a lot on things together because, like I said, he's a director. So he's directed, mm -hmm. like, I don't know, seven of my music videos, something oh, wow. like that. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah, like he directed, um, the Art of You, which we filmed in Italy, you know, okay. um, he shot uh, the Nights Feel Like Getting Down, which we shot partially at the El Rey and then partially here in the house, you know, green wow. screen. Uh, he's, he's done so many music videos with me. Uh, and that's been delightful. You know, uh, we shot Camelot in Tanzania two years ago. Wow. Uh, yeah. So we've. 
So we have a lot of experience actually working together, which yeah. has been which has been really nice. Um, oh, I bet. During the pandemic, he had an idea to do a variety show um, live on Facebook. Okay. Uh, so, you know, old school variety show, like, you know, like Sonny and Cher, you know, uh -huh. or, so he, he wrote these skits and, and I came up with some music and, you know, and we did this, we did about six episodes. <laughs> oh, no way. You got to send me a link. I want to watch Yeah, that. I will. I That's will. Great. I will. Um, and, and we did them live on Facebook. Um, but, but he's actually repackaged them and put them all on YouTube so I can actually send you the uh -huh. link. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to watch it. That's great. Yeah, they're silly and fun, but we 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 have a great time working together. Um, but even if he weren't an artist, I don't know. I think I think we have a great time together because he is an artist also. You know, because like you yeah. said it's it it takes a special kind of person to be able to marry <laughs> and partner up with us. Yeah. Um Yep. <laughs> uh, it really does. So I, I'm I'm just lucky to have found a, a partnership in somebody who who also does what we do. Oh, you that's know? beautiful. Yeah. So we we'll we'll be 11 years uh, next nice. month. Oh, yeah. congrats! Yeah. Congratulations <laughs> to you too. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, that's and that's. I, I gotta that's say. Like Oh, cool. oh, no, I was going to say, I got to say dogs make everything better. We have a dog yes. <laughs> and, and, and our dog has really, you know, we got him eight years ago almost. And so oh. our doggy has really um, made a way for both of us to connect in a different way too. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. I'm a human <laughs> person too. I have our little lab, June, who is just oh. my little angel. I love her. Oh. She's so sweet and yeah, they're the best dogs. Yeah, they're the best. Yeah, the best. <laughs> well, you got a beautiful, you know, crew around you. And um, I'm just so grateful to have talked to you today. Thanks so much for making time for me. And uh, I just can't wait for uh, our listeners to hear all these great stories. And thanks, uh, thanks so for much. sharing everything with me. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a good time talking about all this stuff. All right you enjoyed this episode of The Conduit. The Conduit is brought to you by Crew S Studio and DanYubeProductions.com. Many thanks to the folks at Squadcast, Polymash, Captivate, We Edit Podcasts, Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Sure, and Avid. Extra special thanks to my brothers from other mothers, Scott Power, Bill Coulter, and Alex Desaire. And last but not least, go check out Soul Picnic, my hand-picked music playlists on notrealart.com. Until next time, this is Dan Ubik, signing off.